Welcome to Wisdom Today. My name is Bill Kelly, and I'll be your host. In this podcast, we will be exploring the book of Proverbs. Let's open in prayer. Father God, I thank you for anyone listening to this podcast today. Lord, I pray that you give them ears to hear and a heart to receive everything you have in store for them today. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Proverb 20, beginning in verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. The wrath of a king is like the roaring of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger sins against his own life. It is honorable for a man to stop striving, since any fool can start a quarrel. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man. The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. A king who sits on the throne of judgment scatters all evil with his eyes. Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. Diverse weights and diverse measures, they are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Even a child is known by his deeds, whether what he does is pure and right. The hearing eye and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. Do not love sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will be satisfied with bread. It is good for nothing, cries the buyer, But when he has gone his way, then he boasts. There is gold and a multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Take the garment of one who is surety for a stranger and hold it as a pledge when it is for a seductress. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. Plans are established by counsel. By wise counsel, wage war. He who goes about as a tale-bearer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. Whoever curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. An inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will save you. Diverse weights are an abomination to the Lord, and dishonest scales are not good. A man's steps are of the Lord. How, then, can a man understand his own way? It is a snare for a man to devote rashly something as holy, and afterward to reconsider his vows. 
A wise king sifts out the wicked and brings the threshing wheel over them. The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. Mercy and truth preserve the king, and by loving kindness he upholds his throne. The glory of young men is their strength, and the splendor of old men is their gray head. Blows that hurt cleanse away evil, as do stripes the inner depths of the heart. Friends, I have a special guest for you today. I have Matthew Carnes, and Matthew is a first-year Karis Bible College student. And Matthew, I really would like to thank you for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you for having me, Bill. I'm honored to be here, and I know that the Lord is going to have his way in this. All righty. Matthew, we just finished reading Proverb 20, and I don't know about you, but there are a number of verses we could talk about. Which one particularly spoke to you today, and tell the audience why. Yeah, so as I was reading this this morning, the one that spoke to me the most was probably verse 21. Even though I love the whole chapter, verse 21 just really applies to my life and the story that God wrote about me. An inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. And I could really go back and go into how this was worked by God for good in my life to show me that there was no amount of success or no amount of money I could ever make that I was going to be able to handle without knowing the God of the universe and having him lead me and guide my steps. Wow, that's really good. And Matthew, um, the people in the audience do not know who you are. If you would, please share a little bit about your upbringing and tell the audience what you would like to know about you growing up. Yeah, so I grew up in the Baptist church. My father was a minister. Uh, small town, started off in Somerville, Pennsylvania, like 500 people. And then from there, we moved to Connecticut where he pastored another church. And I, I saw a church fallout. I saw a church hurt. I saw my dad get stabbed in the back by people. And so from a very young age, I had a bad taste in my mouth of the church. And I always heard about God from my parents, but I didn't know him for myself. Even though I got water baptized, my faith wasn't in Jesus when that happened. I was trying to be accepted by my parents and be accepted by the churchgoers around me. And so I didn't get born again. And I always knew God was real. I could feel the draw from him on my life. I remember in high school leading a Bible study and there was no telling what on God's green earth was coming out of my mouth because I didn't know what I was talking about. But I did have that desire and that calling on my life to speak for the Lord and to serve him. But I was trying to do it in my own strength. And so I was doing nothing but stumbling and wandering the whole way. And out of high school, I ended up joining the military did several tours overseas. I saw that everybody on this planet is essentially just lost. I saw that even before I knew Jesus. I saw that people are just doing something to try and feel purpose, to try and feel like they belong, to try and feel like they matter, to feel loved, and nobody could figure it out. Everybody was just wandering and stumbling their way through this mess that we call life. Shortly after leaving the military, the Lord got a hold of me radically, and I let Jesus come in and save me. I said, Jesus, please, I need you. 
And my life has never been the same from that day forward. It's been about a year and eight months now, and I've never looked back. Well, Matthew, that, let's, let's go back, and, and thank you for sharing that, but let's go back to what it was like being raised in a home where your dad is a pastor, and like you said, you saw him stabbed in the back. So um, how did your dad have influence on you? I know in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, 2, and 3, it's an admonition for children. It said, children, obey your parents because this is good in the Lord. And if you do that, you'll have a long life. So how was it for you listening to your parents and being obedient to them? Well, I wasn't really. <laughs> I was not an obedient kid. <laughs> because when you grow up around the Bible and people who are doing their best to do what God wants them to do, but they're doing it from a place of grace mixed with legalism, you come to hate the idea of God that has been presented to you. And so my parents, they were trying to teach me godly principles, and they were trying to tell me what to stay away from, but I just viewed it as constricting. And so I was that kid who was always lying to my parents and sneaking out and doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing. I remember one time, I was supposed to be at this Bible study, which I did go to. I did go to briefly, but what I didn't tell my mom was after it, I was going to the uh, drive-in movie theater with this girl, and I remember it was starting to get kind of late, and I still had to come home, and she called one of my friends and said, do you know where Matthew is? And Deacon, he just aired it out. He was like, oh, yeah, I think he said he was going to the movie theater with, uh, oh, man, who was it? I think her name was Constance. Well, when I tell you my mother called me, and was like, you better get home right now. And then on top of that, the car had died. Because, you know, when you sit at the drive-in movie theater, you leave the, the battery on to, for the audio to come through. My car was dead. I couldn't even get home. I was like, you know what? I'm just done for. I got grounded. I know I got grounded. So that was the way I was living. And then there was way worse stuff than that. But um, I just, you know, that was me. That was the kid I was who I grew up around the idea of God. And didn't really like what I had heard and saw. My parents were doing their best to stay true to the Lord. But I was not interested because the whole thing just seemed off to me. I saw how people had treated them. And so I wasn't really interested in the idea of Christians. And so I, I was doing my own thing. And got me into a, a lot of trouble. You know, started messing with girls in high school. And um, I don't know how much... I don't know how much I'm going to go into all that just because there's so many rabbit trails in my life I could go down of the things I was doing before Jesus. But I think that kind of answers your question of what it was like before I knew the Lord and how I didn't know how to actually honor my father and mother. Well, that's really good. And, you know, Matthew, I'm going to say this. I think human nature is to basically see how far on a leash that you can go. And I know a lot of times people think that that's only for children, but it's the same thing with adults. It's the same thing. I remember when I was going through my teacher training, and uh, we would go to a workshop, and the person would be trying to talk. And even though these are teachers, and teachers are standing in front of a room of kids saying, be quiet, when they go to a workshop, they're not quiet. 
and it's like, oh my gosh, what, what, why are these people such hypocrites? But it's, I think it's human nature to try to see how far you can go away and still get away with it. So anyway, I think Absolutely. you explained that pretty well. But I'm not really sure which direction to go from here, Matthew. Um, what I'd really like to do is after high school, um, what did you do after high school? I think you said you went into the military. So you are away from your parents now, and I think that you're not really thinking about going to church when you're in the military. So if you would, just take us through that process when you're entering the military. What are you thinking about doing? Yeah, so you nailed it. Um, I went to church pretty much every Sunday for my entire life. And then as soon as I graduated high school and joined the military, I never went to church again for six years. That was the last place I wanted to be. I was just happy to be out of the house and to be pursuing the things of the world because I remember at age 17 or 18, the thought came to me sitting in church in a dead small group. The Spirit of God was nowhere to be found. And I remember just thinking, I'm done trying to pretend like this book is real to me. So I'm going to go and see what's out there. And that was a pivotal moment for me because I knew it in my heart from that moment forward. That's what I was going to do. And when I joined the military, that is exactly what I did. And the military, let me tell you, is a godless place. Don't get me wrong. God can use it. And there are people he does have position in the military to do his work for the kingdom, but it's very few. I, To my knowledge, I didn't come across a single born-again Christian in my entire time in the military. And if I did, they were not mature because they never voiced it to me. I didn't hear the gospel a single time. And I did not encounter the person of Jesus, but maybe once through this man named Sergeant First Class Jablonski, but he wasn't a mature Christian. I do believe he knew Jesus, but he just, he wouldn't necessarily talk about it. It just reflect in the way he dealt with me as opposed to all my other leaders, you know. He was actually a kind and understanding and caring person. Whereas most people in the army, they're just out to serve themselves and their career. And most people in the military um, have alcohol issues or alcoholics. Um, some of them are drug addicts, believe it or not. Uh, and most are adulterers. That's kind of the culture of the military, unfortunately. You know, it looks really great on the movies when they talk about um, all these honorable people and um, some of the most high-speed people, as we call them in the military, like Special Forces guys. That's who the movies get made about. But most of the military is compiled of people whose lives are absolute train wrecks, they don't have much discipline, and they're taken captive by the spirit of this world to do his bidding. And that was the culture that I got um, engulfed in from the moment I set foot in the Army. Well, that's really good, Matthew. And, you know, you bring up some good points. But one of the words that I always try to live my life by is the word integrity. And my definition of integrity means doing the right thing, whether people are watching you or not. And I think, I was in the military myself, and I know what it's like when you go into the military, but I really think when people get away from their parents for the first time, that they feel they can do whatever they want to do, and they feel they have the green light to do whatever they want to do. And that, Matthew, now that you know Jesus, is Satan himself, because he is going to come, as it says in John chapter 10, verse 10, he's going to come to steal, 
and to kill and to destroy any dreams that you have. So what, what are your thoughts on that and how is that pretty much where you were? Yeah, that's exactly it. And like I said, from the moment I got into that culture, um, I, I could feel I could feel that spirit of Satan trying to start to influence me to think selfishly, to do things for myself and to not to care about others. And for the first couple of years in my career, that was my mentality. Something happened, though, partway through my career where I went through the divorce of my high school girlfriend who I got married to because if we didn't, I wasn't going to be able to see her anymore. But, you know, this is the this is what a lot of people in the military do. They have a girlfriend and because you have to go travel and live at wherever the military wants you to, if you want to stay with that person, you just get married. And so marriage is not taken sacredly at all in the military. So I did that. And we obviously fell apart because the Lord was not involved in that relationship at all. And so I just remember when I went through that divorce, the Lord got a hold of me slightly to a degree because I felt how wrong what I had done was. And I started to pray to God a little bit, give him access to a degree to show me how much I needed him. And from there, I did start to care about others more than myself because I was just so convicted about what I had done and taken marriage so um, unsacredly and cheated, been an adulterer. And from there, for the last three years of my career, the Lord was working on me. He was starting to actually show me that my perspective of life was all wrong and that it wasn't about me. Well, that's really good. And I can relate to exactly what you're saying, because when I was in the military, I did the same exact thing. And I had gone into the military. I actually was called in a week early. Um, <laughs> I was supposed to go in on the, uh, the 7th, I think, of, of August. But uh, they had to fill their quota for their particular month. So I was called in a week early, and that's another story in itself. But within a year, I got married, and I was in Germany. And the reason I got married was because I was 3,000 miles away from home. She was 5,000 miles away from home because she was from Oregon mm. on the other side of the country. And we got married for all the wrong reasons. I mean, it had nothing to do at all with love. It just had to do with the fact we were both lonely people. Yeah. And, and it just it was just awful. But we ended up having a kid out of that, which I will always be thankful for. But, um, yeah, I, I know exactly where you're at. So, Matthew, we are now at Karis Bible College. You are living this, and you mentioned about two years prior to getting out, something happened in your life to make you realize I don't like the way my life is headed. What changed in your life to get you going in a different direction? Yeah, so two, two main things. The first was the divorce. And then the second was when I found out that I was potentially a father while I was on my second tour in Afghanistan. And this girl hit me up and said, you're the father of my child, 100%. There couldn't be anybody else. And I, you know, to me, it was like, well... She knows that I would, you know, have a DNA test when I get back. So I don't think there's any chance she lied about that. 
So I just started, you know, to uh, support her and the baby that was on the way that I thought was mine. And that was when I really, really started praying to God every day. I would pray every day for my child, every day, because I knew there was something in me. I remember, too, this was a big turning point. When she told me she was pregnant, the enemy came in hot to test and see if I would buy the idea of abortion and if I would try to pitch that to her. And now remember, that was a key moment in my life, because if I had if I had pushed for that, you know, everything in life is about decisions of getting closer to the truth or further away. And if I had yielded to those ideas and become that person who was just like, nah, forget this. I want that baby killed. All those things. There's no telling the dark hole, the, the dark rabbit hole the devil would have took me down then. But I rejected that. I decided to man up because there was something in me. The spirit of God was telling me, no, you need to take responsibility. So that's what I did. And I started praying to God every day for that um, child. And I started learning about investing. I started studying investing with all of my heart because I wanted to put myself in the best position possible to take care of that child so that child could be in the best position possible. And even though I wasn't reading the word of God yet, I was allowing the spirit of God to teach me how to take responsibility for my actions and how to at least live with an honor for life, to honor the, the sanctity of life. And like I said, that combined with the way that I took responsibility for my actions when I got divorced is how the Lord was able to continue to work on me, to continue to lead me into all truth is what the Holy Spirit was doing. And when he was convicting me of my sin, which was specifically that I didn't believe on the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ yet. Well, wow, that's so good. And, you know, Matthew, most people simply wouldn't do that. And I know that a lot of those thoughts that came through your mind was because your dad had been a pastor and you have heard a lot of this stuff as a young person. So that must have been really a benefit to you because I did not have that mm -hmm. in my life. So my life was different than that. But now let's moving forward. Is this child actually yours? No, it turned out she wasn't, which, you know, that was that right there. Because you got to understand for about a year, a full year, my mentality and my purpose in life was to be a father. That child represented God to me in a sense, because I didn't know the God of the universe yet, but I would pray to him. But when you don't know God, you'll make God something else. Even though you say you believe in God and you talk to him, if you don't know him, if your eyes haven't been opened to see what it really means that there's a God, that there's a creator of you and the universe and everything in it, you'll make something else your God. So God was the child to me. She was my purpose. She was my worth. She was my calling. That was what my life revolved around. Then I get home and find out she's not mine. And my life shifts instantly to having purpose, to having a, a driving, motivating force behind it, to now it doesn't. And what's crazy, too, is because of all of the knowledge I had put in to application about investing, I now actually was extremely financially independent too, because I actually learned how to invest in crypto at the time that the market was very hot. And I made multi six figures. And now I'm a single guy. I don't have purpose or motivation that is lasting behind what I do. 
I know I want to get out of the military because I had already adopted that mindset because I was going to be a, a, a father, a single father. But now I don't have the child. I've got all this money and I don't know God. And I had already learned too much about human psychology and about money to go blow it all. The Lord had actually taught me about money. I truly believe it was the Spirit of God who gave me wisdom to not make all that money just to blow it because I didn't do that. But now I'm in a really weird place because I don't know God. I don't have purpose, but I'm also not going to be foolish with all this money I've made. I'm not going to pull the prodigal son and go blow all this money. So what do you do? The only thing left to do is to start seeking, to start seeking. Well, what is the answer for why I'm here? And I'll never forget. It's a few months, several months before I'm going to get out of the military. And I have this friend, Peter Dulay, Debo, I called him. I'm at his house hanging with him and these people. And he pulls out this bag of mushrooms. And he's like, you ever heard of these? And I, all I knew about him was that anybody who I had ever heard of or encountered who said they messed with those seemed really weird. <laughs> it's like they're always talking about something crazy. Well, I'm not going to take those. No way. No way. But then I stopped. I remember stopping and being like, well, hold up a second. What other point in my life would I have the chance to do something like this? Because I don't have really anything to live for. I don't have, you know, if I had still had a kid, I probably definitely would have been like, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. But I didn't have that child. And if I still had a whole career ahead of me in the military, I probably would have been like, nah, I'm not doing that. But that wasn't the case. I was about to get out. And those type of drugs don't show up on drug tests anyways. I asked him, he was like, nah, that, that don't show up. You can take them. So I just remember flipping a switch and being like, I'm going for it. I'm going to take these. When I tell you, my experience was not like some people's. Now, don't get me wrong. People have... Crazy things happen while they when they take psychedelics, but then there's other people who it's more just like a, it's a party experience. But for me, it was a deep, deep encounter with the spiritual realm, with both the devil and God Himself. Every time I would take these, because that that first night that I took them, it wasn't the last by any means. Because every time I would take them, I would encounter what I was seeking to encounter, which was the truth that there was more. There was more. But specifically that first time I took these, what happened was the Spirit of God was able to convict me so heavily that I came out of that experience unable to view life the same ever again. Even though it didn't lead me immediately to Jesus, I remember that night sitting there on the couch while everybody else is just like, whoa, look at the colors, look at what the screen's doing, you know, like. And, you know, saying stuff that seemed kind of deep to them, but it's kind of goofy looking back now and realizing, well, we were just high. But me, me, I'm literally sitting there thinking about how my entire life, all I had thought about was myself. And I'm being convicted of everything I had ever done that was completely contrary to the heart of God. We're not talking about legalism here. It wasn't like I'm sitting there thinking, man, I broke this commandment. I broke that commandment. I broke this commandment. No, what the spirit of God did was he showed me that I did everything in my life contrary to the very heart of God, to the very truth of love, that I did not live or walk in love. And I was, I mean, I was flatlined. I was crushed. I came out of that experience depressed for days. Days. You can't make this up that while other people were just doing something to have fun, I come out of that one step closer 
to realizing my need for the God of the universe in my life. Wow, that's really something. I mean, I'm not really sure where to go from there. But, you know, <laughs> what made you realize, I, I know you said you came to Jesus about a year and a half ago. What made you make that switch that I need Jesus in my life? Yeah, so from the story I just told forward until the night of July 19th, uh, 2021, from that day forward, because I had that intense encounter, I just kept taking psychedelic drugs. And it would be a little different each time because it would be something different that God would reveal to me. And I would talk to God. I would leave the group. I would take drugs with a group of people. And I would go end up walking away to be alone somewhere because the spirit of God would start talking to me. Now, don't get me wrong. The devil would talk to me, too, when I would take these drugs sometimes. I don't know how all that works. I don't know how that how all that gets determined of because some people just have terrible encounters with demons and they come out of those experiences, you know, just having to go to the mental hospital. I saw some of that, too, but God would also speak to me during these encounters and I would walk away to be alone and just let God tell me that there was more for my life and that I needed him and I needed to let go of trying to do it my way. So fast forward after, you know, a year and a half of having experiences like this, I finally said a prayer on the beach in Florida one day. I was visiting a friend down in Florida. And I remember another time, another experience where I just walked away from everybody on the beach. I wasn't high. I was not high at the time, but I was looking at the stars, looking at God's creation, just floored and how obvious it was, I could feel it. I knew, I was like, I know you're there, God. I know you're there. And I said this prayer, I said, reveal yourself to me for who you actually are. I wanna know. Within a month on the night of my birthday, I was moving to Nashville to a, you know, I got my nice downtown high rise apartment, single bachelor. And I heard a voice say, you're gonna die tonight. And I remember just being like, I don't have time for this. What am I going to do? Like freak out now? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix that. So I'm, I'm just going to ignore that. But I knew. I knew that voice. I knew that voice. I was like, that's not me. That's more significant than just me. So I tried to forget about it. And I did. I did forget about it. You know how I know I forgot about it? Because once I got to my apartment, got all moved in. You know, I'm a single guy. Just a little studio apartment. I don't have much to move in. I get all moved in. I'm like, what am I going to do now? I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do on this night of my birthday. And I had these edibles that somebody gave me for my birthday. And I took way more than anybody's supposed to take in a dose. You know, I took like 10 times what you should eat because edible, edible marijuana is very dangerous. It's very dangerous because it's slow digesting, slow releasing. And so you can take way too much and not realize how high you're about to get. And the amount I took was the amount that a lot of people take and are never the same from. Have you ever met a homeless person who it's like, they're just not there and you don't understand what is going on. They got too high. They got too high. This is what Satan has done with drugs in this world is he has taught man how to create drugs that are so concentrated that it messes with the very fabric of how God created us, spirit, soul, and body to where you start tapping into these parallel realms in a way that your brain cannot handle. It just cannot handle. And when you come back down out of that type of high, you're not the same person. And that's what happened to me that night because of how high I got. And I remember at the peak of my high, I left my body briefly. 
I left my body briefly and realized what it actually looks like to be passing into the next life and into the eternal realm. Because the eternal realm, when you're in it, when you're outside of your body and you're in that realm, the very concept of time is just out the window. You know, a lot of people think that eternity is that that it will feel the same as what it feels like to be here in this realm, but just goes on forever. But it's actually not like that. Because when time is out of the equation and we actually pass into the eternal realm, there is nothing but that moment. That moment is permanent and you realize this is it. I am here and that's it. There is no idea of, okay, well, in the future, I'm going to do this or in the past, this happened. Does that make sense? And so I saw that. I saw these things because of how high I got and left my body briefly. When I came back down out of that experience, because it was like a 15 hour high. When I came back down out of that, number one, every chemical process in my brain was flatlined because they had just been all burned out. You know, every every storage of how God designed the, the chemicals in your brain to be able to process things in this world, they were burnt. So everything is gray. Everything is gray. I've now seen that there's an eternal realm you'll pass into when you die. And I've seen the literalness of you can't take it with you. I saw that clear. You know, people say that there's a lot of people. If you're listening to this and you don't know the Lord yet for yourself, everybody says you can't take it with you, but nobody actually lives with the gravity of that statement being understood in their life. They just say it because they've heard it and they know it's the truth, but they don't actually have understanding of that truth because they haven't seen it with clarity. I saw that. I saw that the second I die, I don't care about anything else other than that. I need more life. I need to know I'm right with the God of the universe, whoever he is, because I'm about to meet him and I don't have nothing to impress him with. I can't impress him with money or cars or success, women, none of that. He, I, I knew, I knew he don't care about none of that. I saw all of this. When you talk about being confused and just so depressed and not wanting to live anymore because I didn't have the answer. Even though I saw all that, I didn't have the answer. And I saw that everybody is living a lie, pretending that this other realm doesn't exist. Others are just truly ignorant to it. And everybody's avoiding the, the truth of death. I saw all that with clarity. I had nowhere else to look but the word. That same day that I came down out of that high and was just flatlined in my perspective of life, didn't want to live anymore. I opened to Ecclesiastes. The Spirit of God led me to look in Ecclesiastes. And I read Solomon talking about the exact feeling I was having in that moment. Everything is meaningless. Even though he had had so much success because I knew the story of Solomon. I knew enough to know that he was very successful, had everything. And I thought, you know, I thought my life was cool. I had the stuff the world wanted. I had money. I had no shortage of girls interested in me. And I, had, I was my own boss. I was king of my life. But here's Solomon who had it to the nth degree compared to me. And he's not happy? Now that was confusing. I said, I thought this book is supposed to have the answer. And this book is telling me there is no point. I didn't understand that he's writing from a limited perspective of not knowing the truth of eternal life. He was writing from a place of not having the mystery of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ being revealed to him. But I knew there was something to this book. I was like, well, if it's got a guy in there who can relate to how I'm feeling right now, I'm on the right path. So for the next two days... I was just still devastated. I called my mom. I admitted to her everything that had happened and how I had been living. 
And she was just gracious and patient. She said, come, come stay, come visit with us, come visit with the family. And that's what I did, but I didn't feel better. I didn't feel better. Long story short, the third day after that night that I would say I did die. I died that night. That voice I heard was true. It was the truth. I did die that night. Three days later, I opened to the book of Matthew. The Spirit of God led me to read the book of Matthew for myself. And I got to the part, two parts. Number one, where Jesus rode in on the donkey. And I said, hold on a second. This guy has this much clout with the world at the time. Everybody knows who he is, working wonders. And he chooses to ride in on a donkey? I saw the significance of that. I saw how backwards that was to people in this world because people in this world, you got to understand, I was a guy who was going out to Broadway in Nashville because I, I, I lived near Nashville before I moved there. I lived in Clarksville and I would go to Broadway all the time with my friends and I saw how people with success and power lived. It was all about flexing on everybody. People would drive down the strip in $150,000 modded out trucks and Lamborghinis and Ferraris, all this stuff. It's like, and you're telling me a guy with this much power rides in on a donkey. That was the first thing that I realized, something's up. I think this might be true because this story is too nuts for any man to have written by himself. Then I got to the part where he spoke with Pontius Pilate and the spirit of God revealed the significance of this interaction to me that I never heard anybody talk about. I knew Jesus was proven to be a historical figure. I knew he was real. That's not, that's not even like debatable at this point. People who are still trying to deny that he even existed, I'm like, you got the wrong argument. You at least need to be at a place where you're like, okay, I believe he existed, but I don't believe he resurrected or was truly the son of God. All right, that's one thing. But to say he didn't exist, that's foolishness. I knew he existed. I'm reading this interaction, and I realize that Pilate is trying to set him free. Tr truly, truly. That he, all Jesus had to do was say, yeah, yeah, let me go. I'm with you. Yeah, I didn't do this. I'm not, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm innocent. You're right. But that's not what he does. I saw that he provokes Pilate. He literally provokes him and essentially says, do what you're going to do. You'd have no power at all born from my father in heaven. I'm like, he just provoked him to crucify him. That's when I realized it. it's only two explanations with Jesus. It's only two. I had never, I'd never heard about this interaction with Pilate. People pitched it to me that Jesus was crucified. This is what most people think. Most people think he was crucified against his own will to a degree. That that was the, the sacrifice, that he, he got crucified, not necessarily that he wanted to be, but he had to be, so he did. No, he, t he allowed himself to be captured by the soldiers. Not even captured, he just let them take him. Then provokes the man who's trying to set him free to do it. I said, it's only two explanations. He's a nutcase. He's an absolute nutcase or he is the son of God. This nonsense that I had heard where people tried to acknowledge him as a, he was a good man. He was a prophet, but he was not God. You're nuts. You're more nuts than that idea. Nobody in their right mind who's actually a good man, a wise man, could willingly, intentionally have themselves crucified unless he knew something deeper was going on unless he knew that he was actually the savior of the world, unless he knew the, the, the significance of what he was going to do through that intentional sacrifice. That's the only explanation, the only one. You cannot say Jesus was a wise man, but not believe that he was supernatural, that he was God incarnate, because no wise man 
could willingly turn themselves in to be crucified. It's impossible. And so I realized in that moment, as the Spirit of God spoke to me, you got it, you found it. This is the answer. It's a story that no man could write. It's a story that no man could come up with. This is it. I went out on that front porch and said, Jesus, I know you're the answer. Save my life. Save my life. And I knew after I said that prayer in that moment, something had happened. It was about three days later that I woke up and realized the God of the universe had moved into my body. It took about three days because you got to understand, I was like full on insomnia at this point. I hadn't slept in days. I had not slept in days because what I had seen was too, it was too heavy for me to handle. And on top of this, I had exposed myself to the demonic through that experience of getting so high. I was hearing a thousand voices in my head and I could not sleep for days. But I woke up a couple days after saying that prayer. I had finally slept. That was the first time I had slept in several days. And I woke up and was filled with the joy of the Lord. The glory of the Lord was in my room. I was just on the floor in his presence for hours realizing that I was saved and I knew the God of the universe and I was going to heaven. Wow. That is, that is to say that's powerful is an understatement. That is just absolutely awesome. Matthew. The Bible tells us that when we do give our life to Jesus, that we are a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What happened after that? How did you end up hearing about Andrew Womack, and what brought you to Karis Bible College? Great questions. Yeah, so... From the moment that I realized God had moved into my body, I felt that. I felt that new creation. I literally could not see things the same anymore. Everything, every moment was through the lens of realizing that there is such a thing as absolute truth. That there is such a thing as this is it. You found it. Because I now have my spirit joined to the Lord's. He was joined unto the Lord as one spirit. The Bible says I felt that. And so from there, my entire life is flipped 180 in how I'm thinking and operating. And it took me only about a month to realize I need to actually start learning and being able to put words and understanding to what has happened to me. Because there's no telling the stuff that was coming out of my mouth in that one month period of trying to explain to people what had happened. Jesus was that the word Jesus, the name Jesus was definitely coming out of my mouth. I'm telling everybody, yo, Jesus saved me, Jesus saved me, but I have no understanding because I hadn't renewed my mind through the word yet. So I'm not able to explain it. Everybody probably thinks I'm nuts. So the Spirit of God led me to make a testimonial on my YouTube channel that I had, which was all about making money at the time, all about investing in the stuff that I had made money in. I make that testimony video. Well, actually, no, no, no. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I didn't testify yet. I got on there and made a video for the first time in a month and said, I'm back. Uh, something happened. I, that's all I said. I said, something happened. I'm going to explain that in another video. And this guy comments and says, yo, hit me up on Instagram. Message me. We need to talk. I message him. And he says, I know you got born again. I know you got born again. I, he said my face was glowing and he just knew because this is a spirit filled believer who, you know, I've been walking with the Lord many years. Justin Lane. Shout out my brother, Justin Lane. And he immediately just starts. We start having conversations. I call him and he starts pouring into me what he knows. Pouring into me the truth about grace, 
and what had happened to me. And this is a young man who came up on Andrew's teachings and Brother Creflo Dollar out there in Atlanta, who Andrew is friends with, and they did a conference together called Grace Life in 2018 that changed Justin's life, taught him how the Grace Covenant works. And so he sends it to me. So the first Bible teaching I ever heard is Andrew Womack teaching on the Grace Covenant. And it was nuts in the moment that I put it on because I, 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 I almost heard the devil say, no, 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 anything but this. And do not listen to this. I could hear the devil saying, do not listen to this. It was too late because the type of person I was, if I set my mind to learn about something, I'm all in. That's how I was with investing and that's why it worked. So I was like, I'm going to be the same way with this, with God. It was a wrap. I listened to that whole conference front to back. Michael Smith taught at it. Creflo Dollar, Pastor Greg Dickow, and Andrew, each one with their own unique revelation of grace, but they all aligned. They were not contradictory, and that's what I loved. I realized these are men who are speaking by the Spirit of God, regardless of if you think these guys are perfect or if you agree with everything they, they've said or taught. In this conference, the Spirit of God moved heavily and taught me from month one of my walk with the Lord what it is to be saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. And simultaneously to learning through them, I'm reading for myself in the word because I got baptized in the Holy Spirit very uh, shortly after starting to talk with Justin and starting to listen to these teachings because I had to make up my mind. You know, when you're listening to men of God talk about praying in tongues and stuff, you have to make up your mind early on if you believe it or not. I made up my mind. I said, God, if it's real, I want it. I prayed that prayer. Within a week, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit by my now spiritual father. So I'm set on fire, baptizing fire in the Holy Ghost, listening to the right teaching. God is dumping understanding and revelation into me so I can go ahead and actually walk with him the way he intended. And I'm reading Romans. I'm reading Romans for myself. And I remember as I'm in that book, it clicked fully. It clicked fully. I am saved. I am going to heaven because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And from that day forward, I could not get enough of the fact that it actually is good news, that the gospel actually is good news. I was ecstatic because to realize that the truth of the gospel is that it's not riding on you, I realize I'm all in for life. This is why it's actually called good news, even though 99.9% .9 of people teaching it, they're not talking. It's not good news coming out of their mouth. It's some bad news. It's some really bad news that you're probably not going to make it. When I realize the good news is that you're going to because Jesus made it, and all you got to do is stick to believing that for the rest of your life, and, and actually, you know, what does real belief actually look like? We could get into that. I won't right now, but that's what God started to teach me about, is what does real belief actually look like, and how does that manifest in your life? And so I'm at Belmont University going to school there at the time. And uh, I'm listening to Andrew in class. I'm not listening to what these teachers are talking about. I got to be honest. I've got my AirPods in. I still made straight A's. Glory to God. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> he knew. He was like, I want you I want you to focus on what I'm teaching you right now, Matt. Because I wasn't in my calling. I wasn't. When I made the decision to go to Belmont before I knew the Lord, it had nothing to do with uh, his calling for my life. He knew how to work it together for good. But. Now I'm realizing my life's going to be about Jesus, not me, not my plans. He speaks to me as I'm listening to Andrew in class. Andrew's talking about his Bible college. And I'm, I just lit up in my heart. I was like, that's what I want to do. And I was like, that's got to be God. 
I laugh because Andrew says that. He's like, the devil won't tell you to come to Bible college. And I agreed. I was like, you're right. He wouldn't. So in that moment, I knew I wanted to come to Karis. And I applied within a few months, got accepted. And I realized it was the Lord because I had applied to a different Bible college and they didn't accept me. And I'm glad they didn't because at the time I didn't have enough knowledge to understand that would not have been a good school to go to because they had too much denominational doctrine in their school. They were affiliated specifically with uh, Pentecostal denomination. And I realized, no, the Lord doesn't want me going somewhere like that because there's still going to be some doctrines and traditions of men. And I realized God literally led me to the best place possible to learn an unbiased, strictly by the spirit of God way of reading and understanding God's word. And I was already doing that. The Lord himself was teaching me. So I had confidence because of listening to Andrew and the people he's affiliated with, that these are people who have been taught by the Lord directly themselves as well and not doctrines and traditions of men. And so I knew there was nowhere better on the planet for me to come than here. Well, Matthew, that's really good. And you know, what I'd really like for you to do is um, our time has pretty much come to an end. But what I'd really like for you to do is I can see that Karis has been good for you. When I look at you, I hear a lot of wisdom. I'm, I mean, this testimony that you have has been unlike any other one that I've had so far. But what I'd really like for you to do, Matthew, is take two or three minutes and share with anyone listening today who does not know Jesus. If you would, what would you tell them how important it is to have God in your life and to live a life that is pleasing to God? Amen. 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 If you're listening right now and don't know him, I promise you, you want to, you just don't, you may not know you do, but the real Jesus is not who you have likely been told. Paul wrote in second Corinthians and forewarned him. He said, beware lest you receive another Jesus or another gospel that I have not preached, lest you may have to put up with it. So there's other versions of Jesus and there's other versions of the gospel. And that's likely all you've ever heard all your life. Man-made interpretations and misunderstandings of the person of Jesus. There's only one real Jesus, and the real Jesus is incredible. The real Jesus believes in the person who he made you to be because he created you. And when you receive him, when you truly believe in Jesus, he comes and lives within you and empowers you to do what he called you to do. And he doesn't ever think you're going to fail. He knows you can do it because it's him through you. Jesus does not doubt himself. And so when you receive him into your life truly, you find real purpose. You find real meaning. Because now you realize that you're a vessel for God himself, the God of the universe, the king of the universe, to reach other people with the absolute truth, with the truth of the kingdom of God, with the truth of what love really is, that God desires for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth and to live and walk in love. That right there will set your life on fire permanently. And I'm not talking about hellfire. It's funny. When I say that expression to people, they're like, I don't want to be set on fire. I'm talking about the fire of God. The fire of God is a raging fire of love. It's unlike anything you will ever encounter in this world. God loves people and he loves you. 
truly. He sees your value. You are so valuable to him that he thought of you before he made a single thing and said, I will go and live in a messy, fallen, broken world and be crucified, die the most brutal death possible ever, ever devised in the history of mankind and go to hell for three days so that I can know you personally. He had you in mind the whole way through. And I realized that he had me in mind the whole way through. And that blew my mind when I finally allowed him to show me who he is and who he made me to be. He gets great pleasure out of getting to have relationship with people who will receive this truth. That is the only thing that can bring God pleasure. He's the God of the universe. He could speak into existence anything in an instant. Imagine being that person. It would be really hard, really hard to get value out of stuff. Impossible. It's impossible for God to get value out of stuff and to like stuff the way humans do. It's silly. But there's a reason why it never does it for you, why stuff is never enough. That's because you're made in his image. And the only thing that brings him pleasure is love. Love specifically with a creation that has free will and chooses out of that free will to love him, just as he out of his free will chooses to love us. There's nothing more, more precious to God than that. And he wants to show you that. He wants to give you that so that your life will permanently have purpose and you will walk in your eternal destiny that he wrote about you from the foundations of the world, that you would know him and he would know you and that you would live together forever, walk forever, rule and reign for all of eternity in love, not wickedness and evil. That's the God of the universe and he wants you to know him for yourself. Well, that's really good. Now, one more favor, Matthew, before we close. Go ahead and lead anyone that does not know Jesus into a prayer. So this prayer, I always tell people, receiving Jesus is not a formula. It's not a magic spell. In witchcraft, it's all about just saying the right combination of words. And that's how you'll get something to happen. And people have mistaken salvation for that. They come up with sinners' prayers where they try to hit every doctrinal point. And say, now this is essentially the magic spell of how to get saved. They don't call it a magic spell, but that's how they have people thinking. you got to say the right words. When Jesus saved me, when I got born again, I didn't even know what to say. So I just said, save me. I believe. That was all I knew to say. So just know when I lead you through this prayer, it's not about hitting every point. It's about what comes from the heart. Salvation is a transaction that comes from the heart. He who believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord will be saved is what Paul wrote. So speak it from the heart and you will be saved. Just say, Jesus, I may not fully understand, but I believe. I believe what this man is talking about. I want to know you for myself. I believe you died for me and rose again so that I could know you and be born again, be a new creation and have the life that you predetermined for me to have with you, in you. Save me. You are my Lord and Savior today. I believe the gospel, and I'm never looking back. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Matthew, thank you so much. And, you know, you've been such a blessing, and I know that you've blessed the audience today. But, friends, if anyone repeated that prayer today, I invite you to reach out to me on my Facebook page, Bill Kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y. And if you have any specific questions about anything that you heard on this podcast today, please reach out to me on Messenger. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you.
The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Friends, please join me again tomorrow as we further explore wisdom today.